So how many of you guys have done a three-legged race? You can also raise your hands if you, okay, yeah, that's good. It's a really good picture of what it takes to work with someone. Uh, most of us don't struggle to walk, at least for most of our lives. It's a, it's a common practice we've been doing for a while. I mean, even my 20-month-old son can walk around just fine. Uh, most of us can walk next to another person, but when you attach legs like you do in a three-legged race, it just gets challenging. Something as basic as walking and walking next to someone just gets really challenging, right? That attachment makes it a whole lot more challenging. So the God of the universe has tied himself to us in ways that are much deeper and more meaningful than a silly three-legged race, of course. But he has attached himself to us by his own choice, his own will. He made the world and then he put us in charge to rule it with him. And God doesn't need us to carry out his rule of the world, but he chooses to use us. And it's just an amazing thing. We're made for relationship with God and people. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 22, when the Pharisees heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees, another religious group, uh, the Pharisees gathered together and one of them asked Jesus a question to test him, saying, Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if, if we really are serious about following Jesus, uh, when Jesus gives a statement like that, we should just start hanging things as we read the, the Bible. We should start hanging things on that because Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on that. He said it's the greatest, and he gave us the second, even though it wasn't asked for. And so just, you know, I, I just encourage you to just kind of keep that in the front of your mind, and that's what we're going to do today as we continue Jesus' teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been working through this since mid-March, and now we are in chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. So remember, love God in, lo- lo- loving God and loving people is the first and second commandment. And now we're going to kind of approach our text through that lens. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So this this passage is kind of commonly understood this way. You know, that first part where it's like, ask and it will be given to you. And then, you know, your father in heaven knows how to give you gifts. That's just, you know, pray. Um, And then there's the golden rule, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Well, you know, we all know that. And then there's that last two verses, enter through the narrow gate, uh, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most people interpret that, at least I grew up kind of 
understanding that and being taught that that means many people are going to hell. Um, but I, I just got to say, I kind of, and bear with me, I, I think that's a simplistic understanding of what Jesus is saying. I don't think it's like heretical. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just asking, is that what Jesus meant in context? So we're going to try to grapple with this passage in the context of Jesus' teaching that the message on the mount, the sermon on the mount. So my goal, my goal in kind of challenging maybe our natural assumptions on this passage is that we would learn to live this way of Jesus. Not just that we would understand it conceptually, but that we could, we could share in our small groups, we could share uh, with people that we meet. Um, this is how God is at work in my life. Uh, because when it comes to prayer, um, no one's ever going to be able to explain that to you. Not, not wholly, not fully. There's, there's mystery in our relationship with God through prayer. But we should be able to say, like, I, I, I've experienced God in prayer. That, that's an invitation for all of us. So my goal is for us to live this out, not just to understand it. Because um, at least for me, I, I don't understand how prayer works, but I do know that it works. And so my goal is that we would just leave more committed to live this way of Jesus. So here's, here's the overview today of how I'm going to approach this passage. Um, prayer impacts our interactions. Prayer impacts our interaction with God and with people. And those interactions, are the way we relate to God, the way we relate to people, that shows what our actual life direction is. So... I believe that it's not just pray and then treat others the way that you want to be treated and then something about many people going to hell. I think that all these three things are very connected. I think the whole Sermon on the Mount is a brilliant message that has one point. It's all connected. So let's listen to Jesus again. Um, if we want to live this way of Jesus, we, we really need to listen to him um, thoroughly. So let's, let's listen again. Jesus teaches, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And then enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So let's, let's just start with that first verse, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given. What's it? Last week, we, we covered verses 1 through 6. And we talked about how Jesus is teaching us how to judge in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. He's, he's moving in the sermon on how our insides are supposed to come out in relationship to other people. So he's saying, judge with mercy, judge with integrity, judge for the benefit, the good of others, 
judge using situational awareness. That's that whole passage about don't throw your pearls to pigs. And all of this judgment, like judging well, all of this requires wisdom. And so the Bible says in multiple spots that God will give wisdom to those who ask. But you must trust, you must act, ask and act in order to get wisdom. You, you just don't ask for it. You've got to seek for it with all your heart, the proverb says. So I think that one obvious answer in context is ask and it will be given. What, what is the it? It's wisdom. And I think another answer, if, if we take Jesus' context, is at the end of this prayer section, verses 7 through 11, Jesus concludes with um, how the Father gives good gifts to children. And, and, and we as human parents, Jesus says, even though we're evil, we know how to do that. And he says, how much more would your heavenly Father give good gifts? So ask and good gifts will be given as well. So it's, it's wisdom, but I think it's, it, he opens it up for more as well. Um, but what, whatever we're asking for, we should ask with an understanding of how God responds to prayer. Like Jesus is teaching us how God responds. He's eager to give us good things. And so we might think something is good, but uh, this, this Tim Keller quote has really been a helpful reminder on what is the biblical teaching about God giving us good things in prayer. And, and Tim Keller says this, in prayer, God will either give us what we asked for or what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. So even if you don't get what you're asking for in prayer, you will still be getting a good gift because God knows what is good. And I know that's really, prayer is really hard, okay? And if, if you don't think that it's really hard, you probably haven't prayed very honestly lately. But in prayer, God will either give us what we ask for or what we would have asked for if, if we knew what God knows. So let, let's just press into like some ex- real life examples of how hard it could be for a single who is asking God, I mean, quoting Proverbs 18.22 back to God, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. And your heart is just torn up wanting that good gift, right? And, and, and you're tr- you believe that God is a father who delights in giving good gifts and you're just perplexed. Like, why, God? Why not now? What's, wh- what is it? That, that, that prayer is hard, right? Honest prayer. But God will either give us what we asked for or what we would have asked for if, if, he, he, if we know what he knows. And so we, we know that in Proverbs 22, it's not wise to make friendship or any type of relationship with a man given to anger or to be with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You don't want anything to do with a proud man. So it's better to have no man and be a single lady than to have a proud man because if you have a proud man, you'll have nothing but strife. You want a man wise enough to listen. Or fellas, you know, you might be single and man, he who finds a wife finds what's good. You know, God, why aren't you, why are you withholding this good thing from me? Well, if you listen to God in the Proverbs, even if she's Miss Universe, 
if she is self-absorbed, worried, and argumentative, the Proverbs say you would be better off living on the corner of your roof or in the desert than in the same house as her. So I just think it's really helpful to remember when we come to God in prayer, we should ask and we should act, but we need to recognize that God knows how to give good gifts. And so keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, but trust that he will give good gifts, even if it doesn't look like it. It's a good gift that um, he doesn't give us everything that we ask for when we ask for it. He knows the difference between eating stone and eating bread, right? Between, you might be asking him for a snake, but you think you're asking him for a fish, right? And so I'm not trying to pick on singles at all. It's just an example. It's incredibly difficult to be faithful in a situation that you would rather not be in. Maybe that's singleness. Maybe for some people it's marriage. For some people it's sickness or job or a debt that you're living under. And I just want to say, I I commend you for your faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of that difficulty because you can be faithful in the midst of difficulty. This section is about prayer, but Jesus seems to teach it's more than just prayer. He's he's saying ask, but he also says seek and knock. He, He wants us to learn how to pray with initiative. And when we started the church Uh, almost three years ago. Some of you were around our very first church-wide study. We did Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And Blackaby teaches that when you pray for something, you should start looking for answers. You should start, you should pray, and then you should look, God, how are you acting in this, in this prayer, in my, in my request? Maybe as a, you know, back to the single example, it's like, well, there's no one out there. So this is not right now. Or Well, that person just caught my eye, so I'll pray about that and maybe act on it. But we must take initiative. So if you prioritize taking initiative, though, without prayer, like if you skip over the prayer part and you're just like looking, uh, there's a chance you might be putting a snake on your fork, to use Jesus' illustration. You know, you might just be putting a snake on your fork rather than a fish or or taking a stone, and you're about to eat it in your mouth. We we don't want to take initiative without prayer uh, because we have a tendency as humans to take things versus waiting for God to give them. And that's what happened in the garden. That that was a bad idea. We we took the fruit. If we would have just waited, if we needed that fruit, God would have given it to us. So there's this connection. I I just want you to walk out of here remembering there's a connection between our prayer and our doing. There's, there's this connection. What we pray for, I believe if we pray in, in the ways that Jesus is teaching, we'll move towards what we pray for and we'll move in step with God's spirit uh, moving towards it. Um, and at the same time, uh, what we do impacts our prayer. And that's what we're going to see here. Jesus moves on. And he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And, and that word so could also be translated accordingly. So it's connecting back to the prayer. That how we pray impacts how we live. And uh, so 
I'm guessing 90% of the world would agree with what Jesus teaches then, the golden rule, that you would treat others as you would have them treat you. But how many people actually do that? I know I often don't do it. And why do you suppose that is? If there is a connection, and Jesus said so, (laughs) he connected them, I think it's because our prayer muscles aren't big enough to move the weight of our relating with people so often. Because we can do the same action, but like the same action. I I was thinking this week about uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't very like, uh, well, I didn't really like talking to people, (laughs) especially new people. So uh, in a youth group, they were like sending us out to like visit uh, people who were new. Like, like, it was like home visits. I don't, looking back, I was like, I don't know why I did that. But uh, I I did it probably because I was told to. But um, it was a totally, like, I did it because I had to versus now when I engage new people, it's a totally different approach and attitude. Same action. It's get out of your comfort zone and love this person, meet this person. But prayer and your attitude makes all the difference in the world. And so I just want to remind us of our six-month challenge. We started this in April, and these are just basic disciplines that I'm encouraging us as a church to move towards for six months, kind of putting a timeline on it. I mean, just for, I I want us to continue beyond six months, but pray. Like, I'm really not interested. I think it's probably a bad idea if you share your faith without praying. I I just, I don't know that it'll go that well. you'll probably come off like Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or other people who share their faith without the Spirit of God, uh, without relying on God's Spirit. So I just want to remind us, uh, praying, it just impacts our relationships. It impacts our life. And so here's another invitation. I'm kind of inserting some announcements into the sermon. But another invitation to pray, uh, this is just a space together um, is Sunday morning pray and play. You can bring kids if you have them. Uh, I'm not pushing for you to come at all. This is just an opportunity for you to come and pray. Um, because the way we pray impacts the way we live. Um, and, and the more I thought about this, though, like it's not just linear where you pray and then live that way, but the way that we live, the way that we act, also impacts our prayers. Look at 1 Peter 3. Now I'm going to kind of focus on married couples and specifically husbands like me. We need this verse. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. So it's not just that prayer impacts our actions, but our actions can hinder or cultivate our prayer life. This might be pretty common sense, but just think, married couples, when you're in conflict with your spouse, how's your prayer life going together? It's just not very good. Um, Because when we don't live in an understanding way, our prayers are hindered. And when we live in an understanding way, our prayers are not hindered. So our, our actions impact our prayer. And Jesus, Jesus taught that all of this sums up 
the law, and the prophets. So loving God and loving people, pursuing God in prayer and loving people, it's relationship, it's interaction. And that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. In that same language we read earlier, the greatest commandment is love God and love others. On these two, all the law and the prophets depend. And I believe this leads into Jesus' final point, that our prayers and our interactions indicate like our actual life direction. It's one thing to give Christ lip service and say you're a Christian, but for our lives to reflect what we believe about Jesus is what it means to actually follow him. And uh, this is what Jesus is getting at, I believe, in verses 13 and 14, because he's addressing his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, Jesus is saying, when you pray on your feet, when you pray with initiative, ready to move in relationship to God, in relationship to others, um, you're living this way of obedience. A way that is possible, but it's just not popular. Many people choose not to obey Jesus with their whole life. And I'm firmly convinced, just, just so you know, that once you're attached to Jesus, let's, let's enter back into that picture of the three-legged race, once you are attached in covenant relationship with the living God, you'll always be attached to him. But we can trip and fall and choose not to get up. We can live in ongoing uh, disobedience, un- unrepentant sin. You, I'm just saying, I believe you can be saved and be miserable, but you don't have to be. I might be shattering some of your theology. I promise I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to say what Jesus said. Remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5:19, that those who do not practice and teach these commands will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So this is the first of three warnings that Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with. And I'll just summarize it again. You can be attached to Jesus and be miserable. And and I could be wrong, you know, it could be a reference to hell, but uh, I just don't see how that makes sense in the context. And if you want to discuss it with me afterwards, Honestly, I'm, I'm fine with talking about my study and how I got to that point. But only if your ambition is to live in the way of Jesus. Because my goal is for us to live this way. And it just makes sense to me that if, if our prayers shape our life and it, and, it if, and it comes out in how we relate to other people, and then Jesus says this to his disciples, say, many don't do this. It, it's, it's a warning to live this way. And I want to be clear that I am not saying, nor do I believe that Jesus taught ever, that your obedience earns your kingdom citizenship. Today, we're we're talking about the fruit of justification, not the root. But we'll see you next week. Good roots produce good fruits. Jesus is not saying 
work for righteousness. That's not what he's saying at all. But he does teach that his righteousness works. This is a life of direction, not perfection. The way that we exercise this direction is we fall in the, in the, in the race with God, in the walking with God. We fall, but we get up. It's ongoing repentance. It's ongoing confidence in God. That's the only way to travel this road. We're, we're all going to fall. But the point is that through prayer and action, Jesus' inner life is going to come out of you and out of me more and more as we live with him. Our attachment to Jesus does so much more than get us into heaven when we die. It gets heaven into us now. Slowly but surely, one step at a time, it gets the culture of heaven into us. So again, prayer shapes our interactions. And those interactions reveal what our actual life direction is. And in Jesus, we're attached to the one who traveled this narrow road narrow road perfectly all the way to the end. If you think about Jesus's prayer life, it was his spiritual connection to his father. It was his prayer life that fueled the rest of his life. Out of this inner life, he changed so many people's lives. And that inner life is available now because he died, removing the barrier that kept us far from God, and that he he rose he exercised victory over the grave. So that same spirit who lives in Jesus now lives in the lives of those who believe. So I just want to conclude with a few kind of parting questions and don't choose all of them, but just choose one or two that uh, you think are sticking out to you. What does your asking, what does your prayers, what does that show that you believe about God? Another question is, how are you asking for growing relationship with him? Because if we believe that he gives good gifts, uh, we should also believe that he is the best gift. So who, who else knows about your asking? Following Jesus is to be done in community. So the other week, a guy in my group shared how God is at work in his life, and I was so encouraged. We're not meant to do this alone. So let other people who you trust, know about what you're asking. And if, if you're asking for something, then how are you acting? How is that prayer driving your interaction with, with people? So I'm going to give us a minute to just reflect and pray silently.
Jesus, we worship you. And we come begging for wisdom. Pray that you would teach us to ask for the good gifts that you are uh, eager to give us. And we, we want to be a people who, whose asking turns into seeking and knocking. And so that in everything we would treat others in ways that fulfill, uh, that sum up the law and the prophets. We believe that this way, this narrow road of obedience in you is possible because you're with us. You've given us the power to live this way. So as a practice now, I want to encourage you to pray with your eyes open. Keep praying, but the whole point was that we'd pray and then learn how to treat others. So, uh, you know, lift up your head, open your eyes, see the other people in the room, and keep praying. Keep talking to God. Um, And ask God, with your eyes open, ask God to show you how to pray for the people around you. So, if you will, keep doing that as the band comes up.